Thanks for listening to A Long Time in Finance with Jonathan Ford and Neil Collins in partnership with Briefcase News, the service that brings intelligent curation and analysis to your media monitor. In a world of nearly 8 billion people, with a changing climate and one where it's becoming ever less acceptable to shift produce long distances, is there a way in which we can both secure our food supplies and cut our so-called food miles? One new technology that claims to be able to help is vertical farming. Instead of growing crops in fields, as farmers have always done, you grow them in giant factories where conditions are controlled and artificial sunlight is supplied by banks of LED lamps. The beauty of it all is that by growing intensively in tall buildings, you can both cut the amount of land you utilise and also move farms close to consumers. Even better, you can delink crops from the seasons, growing, say, beans or lettuces or berries non-stop all year round. As an idea, vertical farming is recent. The first farms only started about a decade ago. Initially small-scale, they focused on producing expensive produce for price-insensitive consumers, like luxury restaurants, for example. More recently, though, venture capitalists have been drawn to the sector, pouring in billions in the hope that these businesses can be scaled up so they become major players in the food market. But how much can this technology really contribute to solving problems such as land use, the changing climate, or put food on our plates cost-effectively? So we thought we'd consult an expert on how it's all going. Marcus Waitley is the chief executive of Grow Up Farms, a vertical farming business whose main facility is in Kent and which has just started selling lettuce to UK supermarkets. Before we get going, I need to uh, declare an interest here, which is that I have uh, invested in Marcus's business grow up and therefore... (laughs) Not an objective observer. I'm not an entirely objective observer, (laughs) so uh, I shall leave the particularly rude questions to Neil. Uh, Mine will be of a more encouraging nature. (laughs) I'll see what I can do. Marcus, maybe you can tell us a bit about the background to what you do and what vertical farms are all about and how they might be able to keep our supermarkets stocked. Well, you can you can see why it's so appealing. It's it's every farmer's dream. You write the weather forecast instead of reading the weather forecast and instead of fighting droughts and soil conditions mm. and pests and disease, you're giving the crops everything they want all day Mm. every day Mm. so you get a perfect crop yeah fantastic you also get something which tastes fantastic mainly because of what you haven't done to it rather than what you have it hasn't been imported and handled and processed and treated and and done right you also get something that's that's very good for the environment because you're using much less water and you haven't got chemical runoff and done right it's low carbon and so on vertical farming is a relatively recent concept the founder is a splendidly named american academic or he's he's credited as the father of vertical farms a man called dixon de pommier and dixon de pommier basically uh i think in about 1999 came up with this idea of growing stuff in a 30-story farm in the middle of Manhattan. And he reckoned that growing stuff under lights, you could feed 50,000. And that really is where it... That's the sort of first time anyone really articulates this idea. Absolutely. And I think that was in the face of 
increasing basically supply chain problems, farming outside becoming more difficult and more challenging and saying, mm. okay, well, actually, if you had complete control over everything, wouldn't that be wonderful? It is absolutely wonderful. Wouldn't that be expensive? Yes, it would be expensive. Yes. And there, there is an overriding, I suppose, technology trend, which is why this is a thing at all, mm. which is rather prosaically about energy efficiency, well, LED efficiency. Right. So it's putting everything, growing everything inside is fantastic, but you have to pay for your sunlight. Right. The efficiency of getting light out of LEDs back when the vertical farm was first published was before LED, LEDs existed, really, and light was incredibly expensive. Mm. And then it's just got cheaper and cheaper and cheaper, a bit like a solar panel in reverse. The solar panels have become cheaper and more efficient. LEDs have become cheaper and more efficient. And so at some point in the future, will it be economic to grow lots more crops like this? Absolutely, because the light will keep getting cheaper. Mm. So what happened to his... Dixon, um, he never built it. He was just a kind of uh, academic sitting there in his uh, ivory tower. (laughs) inventing an idea (laughs) and it was then criticized by a lot of people for exactly the reason you give they looked at it and they said this is bonkers yes of course you'll use less land if you put it in a multi-story car park in manhattan but the cost of building the farm is going to be enormous and there are all sorts of figures of how much more per square meter it will cost to build a vertical farm as opposed to just buy some land and also people basically said the electricity costs will make it not viable. What has made it more viable over the years? Because we, I mean, essentially, this is a very young industry. The first farm was in 2012. So I think the first five years or so of the industry was about that. It was, it was urban farms. It was people growing fantastic but expensive vegetables. Mm. And the customers were restaurants, you know, maybe very high-end retailers, Whole Foods, that kind of thing. A, a very good but niche market. And actually, I got involved about five years ago looking at crops grown in, in vertical farms. And I can remember tasting sort of the first leaf and picking it off under the under the LEDs and going, oh, okay, that's that's what this is supposed to taste like. I, mm. I, I get it. I see why people eat lettuce now. Mm. And realizing that the big change needed to be really about that energy efficiency because you've got to have the light cheaper but actually a lot of the cost of growing growing crops isn't about the electricity it's the it's the heating the cooling the dehumidification all the other process energy and actually that was my background was energy efficiency mm. so it was realizing there was a there was a sort of industrial rather prosaic industrial energy efficiency mm. problem which is what would take it from being essentially niche urban farming to something you can buy on the supermarket shelf? It seems to me that the problems are myriad and uh, seem to outweigh the advantages because you've got to build the, the, far, the vertical farm in the first place. You have got to pay for what is this in this country is increasingly expensive energy. And I'd be interested to know whether you ever get outbreaks of various ailments for them and as somebody wrote if you're replacing laborers in the fields with people in white coats that's a kind of expensive trade so it seems to me that there's an awful lot on the other side of this particular balance sheet you're absolutely right there is and you have to solve all of those problems (laughs) it also depends which crops you're talking about because you can grow I mean you're growing essentially hydroponically in a nutrient solution under under LED lights you can grow almost anything but what's economic to grow at the easiest end economically is baby leaf 
salad, a lot of what you're growing, you're selling. At the other end of the extreme, wheat and barley is a very, very long way away in making that work. I mean, it does sound to me a bit like something which will always be a few years away. I'm just interested uh, in what else is going on in, in, in this agricultural market, which you think might support the idea that there's a need for this. Is it becoming harder to source food from overseas or are there practical things which are making it more difficult and driving producers to look at ways of growing things more at home? I think for producers it is cost-driven. People prefer to buy food, buy locally produced food, but it's the it's the price on the shelf that really makes the difference. So I think it's the cost of UK production, whether that's labour or fertiliser or seeds or pesticides or equipment, most of which are produced overseas and need to be imported. And it becomes a case of whether it's cheaper to grow things elsewhere and bring them here rather than to rather than to grow things here. A lot of it comes back to energy cost, energy for fertiliser, energy for phosphates. We've tended to become quite reliant on importing from Spain. Is, are there any issues around things like water in Spain? I mean, the water use statistics in Spain are staggering. The region in Almeria in southeast Spain, where all the salads are grown, you can look on Google Earth, you can you can see the greenhouses from space. I think I'm right that they use a third of all the fresh water used in Spain in that single region growing salads. So the problem is, though, how is that priced in to the product? While it's available for import into the UK people will will pay for it sounds as though your expertise in energy management has uh, could find a new outlet let's just come forward a bit to the recent past because obviously we start off with it being a very much a niche business and people growing things which are quite expensive and then you have from about 2018 this sudden boom where you have venture capitalists who are willing to put up a lot of money I think like four billion dollars went into backing vertical farms around Europe and the United States essentially they seem to be a bet on the idea that you could scale up these from being niche operations to large-scale operations why did people suddenly decide that the economics had changed <laughs> I think people were seeing bigger and bigger problems that this way of growing things was solving. In a way, it's a whole supply chain you're replacing. And as you're getting more farming and distribution and transport and supply chain problems, this would be a very appealing answer. Financially, I think there was a a feeling that perhaps this fitted into a technology investment mold where if you apply enough capital you can solve the problems as you go along and scale up and that you'll get there and yeah. there'll be a land grab a virtual right. land grab okay. it's a leaf grab. It, a leaf grab it's it's not a software business yeah there's lots of amazing software in in what you can do but it's not it's fundamentally a, a production it's a farming business you need yeah. to produce and you need the unit economics each thing you sell has got to cost you less to produce than than you sell it for trying to do that just by scaling i think is what a lot of people have found very difficult so you think some of the people who were doing this were unrealistic about what they were trying to achieve or they they hadn't figured out 
how this industry was really going to evolve. I mean, I read one thing. There was a guy who ran a, a business called Fifth Season in the United States who was interviewed about his business going bust. <laughs> Always interesting to get the post-mortem from the guy who knows. <laughs> and, yeah. and he said, he said a number of things. He said they'd made a number of mistakes, one of which was they tried to build a lot of their own technology. Of course, the parallel was drawn between a farmer doesn't go and invent a tractor or some build his own tractor. He just buys a tractor from the local dealership. And so there was a lot of that. And there was a lot of not being sure what exactly you were designing your farm to grow. As far as I could see, what he said was, we spent far too much money and we thought that the venture capitalists would be there when we needed some more money. And then when we figured out that they weren't there, we'd spent it all. So, so that was the end of us, he said rather gloomily at the end of the interview. Do you think that has been part of the sort of uh, experience that these new ventures have faced, that they've got themselves into this sort of pickle? Yes, I think if you see it as a continuum where in the end the reducing cost of electricity from LEDs will make all sorts of things economic, but we're a long way away from some of those things. Mm. If you try so and do you everything... you mean the increasing efficiency? Because the energy cost is not going to come down. Sorry, the increasing efficiency, yes. Well, and energy cost isn't just electricity, it's the heating and cooling. And what we've focused on is trying to use less electricity. If you can't affect the cost of it, you can try and use a lot less of it. If you don't use electric heating and cooling and chilling and dehumidification, you can take a lot of the cost out. Has anybody cracked the financial model that you're aware of with all this $4 billion worth of investment? Well, we think we have in a very specific case for bagged baby leaf salad in UK supermarkets. So we have a salad on the shelf in Iceland supermarkets for a pound a bag. That is a particular product that works. We've got other salads coming along. It is not yet there for strawberries, tomatoes, other products. So the four billion goes in and there's been a shakeout. And in the last few months, a lot of the venture capital people who've backed it have kind of slightly pulled back and said, we've, we've tried this, we didn't work out so, so well. And certainly in Europe, there have been one or two France and places like that they pulled out. What, in your view, has driven this sort of revulsion? Why they suddenly decided they've, they've given up? <laughs> revulsion is not... Sorry, I can guess. <laughs> if something is not economic and you've tried to be all things to all people, yeah. um, you see it in a lot of technology cycles. People mm. try and do a lot of things. Some people who focus get it right, and then these things go in waves. And I think there are, there are some people who've got the model right in some specific cases who can carry on and if you try to say well actually it's a land grab we can do everything for everybody mm. you have to keep running pretty fast and pretty expensively mm. for a long time to stay ahead on that way and to what extent has sort of esg played a part in all this with people saying actually you know this is good we've ticked our boxes we can invest in something which gets rid of food miles or whatever to what extent has that been a part of it i think it's a very important part of people wanting to put money into the sector it's very difficult if you then try and think that you can sell a premium product that people will pay more for because it has a lot of those benefits. So some customers will pay a bit more for some things, but you've got to be able to deliver those benefits without having to charge the customer more. If you can do that in the supply chain, then great. But I think that's been part of the appeal for investment. I think it's a sort of noble enterprise that you are trying to feed the world without taking every square inch of countryside and turning it into 
uh, agricultural desert. In principle, I think it's a very fine idea. Financially, I would be pretty sceptical because it's one of those things where there are so many problems which you can't really foresee. The history of trying to grow food in a non-natural way, if you like, is not, a, not an encouraging one. I wish you all the best, but I would not be uh, a great <laughs> I would not be a great uh, enthusiast for it uh, certainly with the current state of technology well, your concern for our financial return is very touching <laughs> <laughs> doubtless your bank manager okay. is too <laughs> I do share the concerns you're exactly right it is it it takes longer it is more complicated it is more more difficult to do we've been doing it for 10 years and have learned a lot of lessons in that time and continue to learn more lessons mm. um that sounds and, ominous well i think focusing is really important it's a very different proposition to grow lettuce compared to growing tomatoes it's very easy to say them in the same sentence you know we have an r d center who are doing lots of great work growing tomatoes but we are still some way away and there are lots more things to do so i think perhaps the the mistake is people seeing it as one big continuum of things and you know when a potato is coming and so on it's 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 not it's you know, any more than a farmer who was a lettuce farmer would suddenly completely change their business model to grow something different. I mean, they theoretically can, but it's an entire different skill set to do that. So I think the focus is important. The natural point is a, is a difficult one because some farming in some seasons in some places is now becoming very, very challenging. And if we can replace some of that... I think that's very helpful, growing lettuce Sorry, in the UK. how do you mean the challenging? Are you saying that the inputs are getting greater? The inputs are getting greater, they're getting more expensive. Somebody was describing the other day that some vegetable farming in the UK is arguably hydroponic because the soil you're growing in you have to put so much into to make it work. Should we be using UK farmland to, grow, to try and grow lettuce in the winter? I'm not sure we should. Should we be growing lots of things in the UK in the high season in the summer? Absolutely, but we import 70% of our lettuce. Would it be better to do that in the UK and save the food miles? Yes, I think it would. So it's in some cases, it works very well. Is it a cure for everything everywhere? Absolutely not. So maybe you could, uh, Marcus, you could just tell us a little bit about your own business and how far you've got to in building it out. Because I think you're still building out your first farm. Is that correct? So we started 10 years ago. We've, we're now building our fourth farm. We've had two urban farms in London, a research centre, and then our latest farm at Pepperness in East Kent near Sandwich. And the first crop from that went onto the supermarket shelf on the end of February this year. And we're now rolling out more capacity in that building over the next 18 months. And once that's fully built out, that will do about 4% of the UK's prepared salad market. And when will it be complete? In spring 25. And you have sufficient resources, I think is the expression, to, uh, to get to the point where the cash is going to come in. The cash is coming in. We have customers. We're on hundreds of supermarket shelves for a pound a bag in Iceland supermarkets, if I can get my plug in. <laughs> Other supermarkets are available, but yes. Other supermarkets. Unfortunately, the salad isn't. What, though, if you think about businesses in this sector, Infarm, which is a big one, laid off about half its workers last November, one called Agricool in France, closed down, 
Various others have scaled back, particularly in the United States. What are you doing, which means that you won't have to do what they're doing, which is to draw stumps on their farms, as it were? (laughs) (laughs) Interesting analogy, yes. So they're different models. InFarm had an interesting model of essentially growing the crops in store. So you could go into Marks and Spencer or Selfridges and see a little vertical farm on the end of the aisle with herbs and things growing there, growing there live, and they couldn't get the distribution and the and the business model to add up. I think you have to give the the, the consumer what they want rather than what you think they should want. <laughs> this and is a very good rule <laughs> in commerce. <laughs> and in terms of energy, obviously the other thing which has caused the shakeout is this is the spike in energy costs. Well, we hadn't expected our energy suppose model to be tested quite as thoroughly as it has been in, in over the last year 18 months but this is what we looked at going into it so my background which is I suppose industrial energy efficiency was looking at this and saying hang on a second the only thing that's stopping this amazing crop being on every plate of every meal is the cost which is 65 percent of it is an energy efficiency problem mm-hmm. so we did that to begin with is just to use a lot less energy and also, there are various ways you can make energy cheaper by co-locating with renewable energy generators and so on. So you can bring the, the unit cost down a bit, but you can also just use a lot less energy. And that was that was what we went in doing. So has the energy price spike affected us? Yes, a bit, but nothing like... If energy is 65% of your cost base and your energy price triples, you can see quite quickly why the maths don't But you don't said work. you'd reduced it from 65% of your cost to 25%. Yes. That's very impressive, given energy in this country is always going to be expensive. Probably going to get more rather than less expensive as we go towards the green zeros goal. So this is an industry which started in 1999 with an academic denounced as an idiot by the likes of George Monbiot, who referred to vertical farms as towers of madness. Oh, that's that's (laughs) bullish. Neil suddenly perked up. (laughs) We're now in 2020. There's been a boom in investment, then a kind of pause. Do you think, looking ahead, say, 10 to 15 years, what proportion of our crops, lettuces or whatever, are we likely to, to be able to get from vertical farms? I think for particular crops, it can be more than a niche business. I think for salads broadly, that's leafy salads, but also tomatoes, peppers, cucumbers. I think a large proportion could be grown like this. And I think the costs and risks of the alternatives are all going the other way. So it's it's two trends going in opposite directions. I think that will that will be quite a big part of things. As you get out into other fresh produce and then on into arable crops, I think we're a very long way from arable crops being economic. And do you think that that increase will come about because of efficiency or do you think food prices will rise, making it easier to make the economics of vertical farming stand up in places like Britain? We assume that food prices won't rise. I think historically mankind is very good at stopping food prices rising. (laughs) Yeah, soft commodities have been a very poor long-term investment. That was A Long Time in Finance with Jonathan Ford and Neil Collins. 
Production and editing by Nick Hilton. And our sponsorship partner is briefcase.news. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review it on your podcast app, as that will help new listeners find us. If you had some amazing robots, you could save some of that 15%. Yeah. But that's... Uh, that's worse than my phone or my dogs In a world of nearly 8 billion people, with a changing climate and one where it's becoming ever less acceptable to shift produce long distances, is there a way in which we can both secure our food supplies and cut our so-called food miles? One new technology that claims to be able to help is vertical farming. Instead of growing crops in fields, as farmers have always done, you grow them in giant factories where conditions are controlled and artificial sunlight is supplied by banks of LED lamps. The beauty of it all is that by growing intensively in tall buildings, you can both cut the amount of land you utilise and also move farms close to consumers. Even better, you can delink crops from the seasons, growing, say, beans or lettuces or berries non-stop all year round. As an idea, vertical farming is recent. The first farms only started about a decade ago. Initially small-scale, they focused on producing expensive produce for price-insensitive consumers, like luxury restaurants, for example. More recently, though, venture capitalists have been drawn to the sector, pouring in billions in the hope that these businesses can be scaled up so they become major players in the food market. But how much can this technology really contribute to solving problems such as land use, the changing climate, or put food on our plates cost-effectively? So we thought we'd consult an expert on how it's all going. Marcus Waitley is the chief executive of Grow Up Farms, a vertical farming business whose main facility is in Kent and which has just started selling lettuce to UK supermarkets. <laughs> <laughs> 